Hi there, and welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfond, and joining me to discuss an NBA season that may or may not be on the brink of complete collapse is my co-host, Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? There's uh, it's kind of a lot going on in the NBA right now, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and society at large, yeah. we might add. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll... I'll leave it to you where you want to start with all this. I mean, we have obviously a COVID outbreak. I think it's fair to call it that at this point, like a COVID yeah. outbreak in the NBA. There are something like 30 players who are essentially in quarantine right now, either because they've contracted COVID-19 or because they fall into the high-risk category of exposure laid out in the league's health and safety guidelines uh, and their contact tracing protocols. So um, there's that and, and the fact that they've now had to postpone six games as a result and some teams are rolling out eight players and we, we don't entirely know where this is all going. Kyrie Irving has gone AWOL from the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden has essentially gone public with his his displeasure with the Houston Rockets and his request for a trade. All things we've hit on at various points in time, but they've all kind of collided uh, in the last couple of days. So where do you want to start, Cash? I'll, I'll let you kick us off. I mean, I guess maybe we start with Harden just because it's the last thing that happened uh, in terms of the three things we're going to talk about before we get to the outbreaks, plural, and Kyrie. So let's start with Harden. Okay. Yeah, so for anyone that uh, wasn't aware, Tuesday night after... The Rockets pretty much crapped the bet against the Lakers, thanks in large part to the fact James Harden looked like he didn't want to be there. A seemingly out of shape James Harden, we might add, um, looked like he didn't want to be there. I, I wouldn't say seemingly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It no, could but, not be more obvious. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe he was trolling us and had like a couple uh, shirts tucked into his jersey or something. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Wearing a fat wearing a fat suit to force a trade would just hey. be next level. I would respect it. Yeah, at that I mean, at this point, that's his next move. Like that's how desperate things have gotten. So, James Harden um, clearly doesn't want to be there. Plays like it contributes to the fact the war, uh, the Rockets sleepwalk through a game against the defending champion Lakers. They get blown out, and then after the game, James Harden says a lot of things. He says. Uh, I love this city. I've literally done everything I can, but I mean, this situation is crazy. It's something that I don't think can be fixed. Uh, he admits that he doesn't think the Rockets are good enough to compete with teams like the Lakers and and the contenders in general. It says everything except please trade me in this post-game press conference, then says thanks and walks out. John Wall ends up saying it's hard to win when not everyone's bought in or something along those lines. It's an obvious mess in Houston, and it's exactly what we thought it would become if James Harden continued to play there this season after the very public trade demands and very desperate uh, attempts to get out of there. And and to me, it's just more of the same of kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago where, you know, when I said that it's like he's trying to create leverage through chaos because he doesn't have the leverage most disgruntled stars usually do when they're on expiring deals. So... Leverage through chaos is the only way he can do something about it. And, you know, a, a lot of people now talking about whether this is going to completely tank his trade value and whether that means it's easier to trade him. Like it, it's it's more likely he gets traded because 
more teams might be in the mix if his value's tanked or if it's harder to trade him now because the, there's no way the Rockets want to deal him when his value's at his lowest. The counter to that is, well, like, is his value going to go higher if this continues? Like, I don't think he's going to magically in the next couple of weeks wake up and decide, okay, I'll play hard for the Houston Rockets today. You know, like he's clearly checked out. Yeah, and I can't think of a single situation like this in the past where a player is openly sulked and possibly deliberately played poorly because they have no interest in being where they are. And the team is just like, all right, well, we're just going to ride it out anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. you, you can play like shit for the rest of the season. We're still not going to trade you like that. I don't think that's ever happened before. Yeah. And I, I honestly don't think that it's killed his trade value that much i mean that's totally speculative but i just think ultimately you know the majority of the teams that were interested in trading for him in the first place are probably going to recognize that the player they were initially interested in trading for is still in there and yeah he might have to play his way into shape or shed some layers but ultimately he's still capable of being that player. And I mean, we even saw that like his first game that he played was, was against the Blazers and he was completely ridiculous in that game. Like his shot making his playmaking. I think he finished with 44 points and 17 assists. And I mean, I don't know if that was just, he just happened to play really well in that game and his attitude hasn't changed at all. Or if those two games against the Lakers literally broke him, but it was, Honestly, not that long ago, it was maybe like two, three days ago, where he was saying to reporters like, yeah, you know, we have a lot of good pieces here. And if if things start to click, we can do something really special. And then like a two game set against the Lakers, I guess, made him realize how far away they are. But to your point, I mean, he had so much to do with that, right? Like he has looked checked out on the court on top of looking plainly out of shape his transition defense has frankly been an embarrassment and he's very much contributing to uh, the Rockets dysfunction right now so it's obviously a little frustrating to hear him come out and say we're not good enough this can't be fixed I've done everything I can when he's going out and giving the kind of efforts that he is giving and especially for a guy like John Wall who I think has honestly looked pretty good this year like way better than I would have expected he looks explosive he's getting to the rim he's finishing at the rim at an extremely high level he still looks fast as all hell like his passing has still been on point and you know for him to have put in all the work that he's put in over the last 20 plus months to get himself back to a point where he can play at this level after suffering First the knee injury and then obviously the Achilles injury. And then after nine games for Harden, who again like at this point I don't know how much truth there is to the fact that like he was pushing for Wall to be there in the first place. But ostensibly, you know, that was a trade that that Harden wanted to see happen. So Wall winds up in Houston after spending every season of his career in Washington. And now here he is, and the player he got brought in to play with is tanking the team's season. Like, I, I can imagine the frustration that John Wall is probably feeling right now. And, I mean, another thing that you hit on is just 
this was kind of where this was headed, right? It's an inevitability. Like Harden said he wanted to be traded. It didn't happen. And the leverage that he has right now is essentially to hold the franchise hostage. And the way that he does that is by playing poorly, uh, throwing his teammates under the bus, like basically just making the situation as toxic as possible so the team has no choice but to move him. And like I said, we've seen that happen in the past, and these situations always do end with those players getting traded. I think Jimmy Butler probably being the most recent example of that. Um, Or maybe Anthony Davis, I guess. I liked the contrast on Tuesday night of John Wall in his post-game presser saying something along the lines of, you know, it's only nine games. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. And, and that, cause I guess the reporter had asked him something about like maybe the season at large. And yeah, he said, uh, we've only played nine games, still a lot of basketball to be played. Like, what do you want to do? Like jump off a cliff after nine games. I like the contrast of that. And then James Harden essentially being like, yeah, we're clearly not good enough. Like this season's over. Where's the nearest cliff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll drive us off there. Hop on my back. I got extra meat to carry y'all. Um, so I, I, another interesting thing is like, how long does it take wh- when the inevitable trade happens, assuming it does, unless Tillman Fertitta's rockets are actually going to ride this thing out and just like accidentally tank with James Harden in the mix and then go into next year with him on expiring, barring that from happening, they trade him. Like I, I guess the team that's acquiring him, as you said, is going to have to accept that he probably has to play his way into shape. Like the first couple of weeks with a new team are probably going to be James Harden's training camp. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think at the same time, we saw in those first couple games where he still managed to play outstanding basketball, that even an out-of-shape James Harden can still be really effective. I almost think, you know, more so than just the conditioning factor, there is going to be an adjustment period for, you know, whatever team acquires him just getting used to his style of play. And, like, if the Sixers, for example, were the team that trades for him, then... Like, that's just going to completely rejigger their whole style at both ends of the floor. And him and Embiid, I think, can be extremely effective together. Embiid's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, he was he was unconscious last night. Like, I, I've never seen him play an offensive game like that. And he's, like, handling the ball. He's shooting jumpers off of the dribble. He's mashing in the post. But playing alongside Harden would force him to adjust in a lot of ways, right? Like, he probably wouldn't be posting up as much like he would be playing more in the pick and roll which honestly has never been his forte like he's never been an especially good role man before and where he is used to playing a drop defense where he relies on guards to fight over top of the screen so that he can kind of hang back and make an impact around the rim well that's never really been a style of defense that James Harden has played Harden's used to playing a switching system where he doesn't really have to fight through screens and he kind of excels defending up uh, and switching onto bigger guys and using his strength and his heft uh, in the post. All right. That's enough now. (laughs) And, um, and so there would be a huge adjustment period, I think at the defensive end as well. Right. Like I think there would be a lot to figure out there. So I, you know, just apart from like him playing his way into shape, uh, and the Sixers are just one example, but I think any team that acquires him is, is probably going to need a little bit of runway to figure out what their identity is, what their style of play is going to be. And that doesn't mean that whatever team he gets traded to ultimately isn't going to be exceptionally good and probably a championship contender. But I, I do think it's going to take some time. There was something really poetic, I thought, Tuesday night about watching the Sixers game and the Rockets game at the same time and watching on one screen 
Joel Embiid absolutely carry the Sixers on a night when frustrating Ben Simmons showed up. And on the other screen, watching James Harden so obviously checked out of the Rockets. And it's just like you're sitting there watching it thinking, just do it already, man. Just do it. You know, like get this deal over and done with and let's see what the rest of the season looks like. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, so why don't we just piggyback on that point about the Heat Sixers game? Because it was a very entertaining game. But there was no Jimmy Butler, there was no Bam Adebayo, there was no Seth Curry, there was no Tobias Harris. Both teams were incredibly shorthanded. The Sixers were playing with, I think, eight healthy players. Two of them fouled out, so they were down to six by the end of the game. And like the game before that, the Sixers were playing like without Ben Simmons as well. And because they were so shorthanded, that led to them playing Embiid and Dwight Howard together for 10 minutes of that game during which they predictably got waxed by the Hawks. Like, if we're being real, the quality of the NBA product right now is not particularly high. And like I mentioned off the top, there's now six games that have been postponed due to the fact that the teams involved haven't been able to field eight healthy players. And I don't, like, it's hard to know whether they're going to be able to get a lid on this thing. Uh, and so in response, the NBA came out with these revised health and safety guidelines, which involve uh, more mask wearing and players essentially when they're on the road, remaining in their hotels and when they're at home, remaining in their houses, essentially, except to attend like team related functions, shorter meetings, pre and post game uh, during which everyone's going to be wearing masks and, and like no fraternizing between players before and after games, everyone being forced to wear, uh, to wear masks on the bench at all times. Except for that cool down period. There's like the cool right, down right. period. They where can you go can... and like sit in a chair in the corner, basically. Yeah. They have to go to the cool down area, which will definitely be sponsored by the end of the season. <laughs> and, uh, and you get to chill there. And then when you come back to like the regular bench, you have to have a mask on. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we'll see whether this makes a difference. To me, it feels a little bit like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And, and maybe they'll manage to curb the spread anyway, just as a result of like the contact tracing. But I think, you know, the issue that they've clearly run into is the fact that like they're getting tested twice daily, right? With these rapid tests. But a player can can be infected without it showing up on a test. And like going back to the Seth Curry thing, like when they found out that he had tested positive, he was sitting on the bench because he had an ankle injury. And apparently, this is according to Mark Stein's newsletter, that test also came back earlier than they were expecting. They weren't expecting to get it till the next day. So under normal circumstances, if he was healthy and the test result came back when it was supposed to, he would have played that entire game while COVID positive, 
and and like that's what they're dealing with right and and they've been kind of adhering to these cdc guidelines for what constitutes close contact which is being within six feet of somebody for 15 minutes but i just think that totally ignores the context of an nba game where guys are panting and sweating and bumping up against each other like dapping each other up after the game to me like isn't the issue here so i don't know i i I think there is a case to be made that just because of where they're at right now with the caseload and the fact that it is going to be difficult to mitigate it that now would be a decent time to hit pause suspend the season and try and pick back up again in a couple of weeks but i think there are very legitimate reasons not to do that as well yeah, I think they're going to try to avoid that at all costs. Look, I think there, there's a couple of ways to look at it because if you look at it just from like the NBA basketball perspective, you look at from a basketball media perspective, you look at it selfishly and think, okay, well, I hope there are games played so that, you know, we have our jobs to do. And you can also look at it as like, okay, they're in a very controlled setting. I know it hasn't looked that way right now because there are multiple outbreaks, but from the standpoint of everyone involves getting tested twice a day, now they're even, um, I believe, uh, I should double check this, but I believe the coaches and traveling staff are being tested. Maybe not quite as often, but they're, they're being tested. Um, so it, it's a bit of a controlled environment. I hope they can kind of figure it out and keep the games going. The other side of it is, well, these guys, unlike during the restart, they don't live in a bubble, literally and figuratively. And so you can't just say, well, they're get they're in this controlled environment. They'll get through it because there are societal effects to that. Like they may come in contact with other people. It could, you know, it, someone that acquired the virus in an NBA setting could be a patient zero in another outbreak elsewhere that affects people that aren't maybe getting tested twice a day and don't have tens of millions of dollars. And maybe that person doesn't have, doesn't have health insurance. Like there is a ripple effect that could come from the NBA continuing to play. My concern and my issue with that side has been somewhat alleviated by the fact that they're now going to mandate players like the rest of society for the most part right now, um, essentially locked down when they're not at work. And I know that sucks no one wants to do that. I understand that multimillionaire pro athletes who have, for the most part, lived one lifestyle. And I don't even mean like anything irresponsible. Just they're used to one lifestyle as multimillionaire celebrities. Uh, I understand that it will be a reality check for them to now have to do this when they're not actually forced to in a bubble. But if they want their season to continue, if they want to get as many games in as possible, which you know, is financially motivated and is the very reason and the only reason they started up in December, despite the last season only ending a couple months ago. If they want to keep that going, they'll adhere to those rules. Um, And if they don't, then they'll break them. And at that point, it will become a risk for the public too, because like I said, it's not, they're not in a bubble now. So if they're playing and then breaking the rules outside of that and doing God knows what, then it, it will become an issue for you know, the public and the people around them and society at large. So that's my take on it. If these guys follow these new guidelines, especially at home on the road, and I'm not just talking about players, coaches, personnel, like anyone involved in getting these games going. Uh, if they follow the rules, I feel like they can get it under control. But yeah, and, and that's just off the court. I'm talking about, by the way, because the on the court stuff is just silly, as you mentioned. Like, you know, let me bang on and off in the post with this guy for the next couple hours. But 
don't you dare dap me up before or after the game. Like that stuff is silly. So, you know, if it happens on the court, what are you going to do? But yeah, like I was saying, I, I feel like the off the court stuff, it's been a little alleviated my concern just by the new rules, but it's still going to take hundreds of players, coaches, NBA personnel, et cetera, actually following those rules. And I don't know if you saw George Hill's comments. I did. And yeah, but the, and that's yeah, the thing, right? Think. Like you, you're, they're only going to be as strong as their weakest link. And if guys aren't willing to adhere to those revised guidelines, then it's not really going to matter. And yeah, I, so George Hill said, basically, I'm a grown man. I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to go see my family, I'm going to see my family. They can't tell me I have to stay in a room 24-7. And this is the part that I would like to hit on because he, he follows that up by saying, if it's that serious, then maybe we shouldn't be playing. And I think that's a pretty damn good point. And this is where I've been at with it. And this is the reason that I think if they are going to keep playing and the league and the players made this decision together that they were going to try and play this season outside of the bubble, obviously the players wanted nothing to do with doing a bubble again. They're playing a indoor contact sport with no travel restrictions at like the worst phase of this pandemic. So to me, like the fact that they're doing this essentially means that the NBA is being treated as an essential business, right? Because most non-essential businesses have been shuttered at this point. So from that perspective, if that's the decision that's been made, I really just think that they should get the players and staff vaccinated. And I know that's like a really touchy subject because there's this idea of cutting the line and for a bunch of young, healthy, rich people to be getting the vaccine before older, vulnerable, like frontline workers in some cases is kind of an optical disaster for the league. But to me, because of like the travel that's involved, because of the potential risk of outbreak, and because the league is essentially already being treated as an essential service, I, I really think that the the only way to go about this, the only way to proceed safely is to like secure like a few hundred vaccines and get everybody inoculated because by all accounts, supply is not the issue when it comes to vaccinations, right? Like the, the issue is that the rollout has been super slow due to like logistical and administrative challenges and failures. And so it's not like if the NBA were to say pay for like a thousand vaccines, it's not like they would be stealing vaccines that were like earmarked for other exactly. people. So that's kind of where I'm at with that, right? Like I, I think that to me, it's like either... Like George Hill said, it's that serious, so we shouldn't be playing. Or it's that serious, and we need to keep playing, so we need to get these vaccines. Because like, if, if optics were the chief concern of the league right now, I think that they just like wouldn't be playing the games in the first place. And I don't really understand the logic of saying, we're going to go ahead with this season uh, of our indoor contact sport during the height of the pandemic but jumping the line to like secure a few hundred vaccines is a bridge too far you know what i mean like i, I just think they kind of need to pick a lane 
Yeah, I think, look, George Hill makes a great and obvious point in that if it's that serious, we shouldn't be playing. The thing is, we know that. Like, even us who work in basketball media, who, as I acknowledge, you know, for the full security of our jobs and anyone working, not just media, but anything to do with the NBA, the games being played matter. But even we know that, yeah, like, obviously, if you really want to boil it down, contact sports, sports in general, whatever, like shouldn't technically be being played. If you're trying to be as safe as possible, like on a full society, like I think we know that, right? My issue with what George Hill is saying is, okay, first of all, um, when you're in your home markets, they're not telling you to isolate alone. They're telling you to stay home, right? So he can still be with his immediate family. Now, if he's talking about his more extended family, which look, I understand we all have families that we'd like to see more of over the last year. That's where my issue with with kind of what he was saying comes in because it's like, look, for the most part, I'm usually on the side of like these guys and not just guys in the NBA, pro athletes in general across leagues, obviously live a different lifestyle. You can't use, you know, the restrictions of your own lifestyle and try to enforce it on them because it's just different and i understand that and i always do but in this case when we're dealing with um the worst health crisis in a century in the worst phase of this pandemic i do kind of take issue with george shall saying well if i want to see my family like i'm going to do what i want to do because it, like this isn't just an nba thing this is anyone working right now or not even even if you're not working and who in the United States, where we're sitting in Canada, in most countries right now, wherever you're listening, who can just pick up and go see any family they want without the risk of transmission or the risk of even potential consequences legally or professionally? Like, this isn't something that's unique to the NBA. And again, they're not telling you you have to isolate completely by yourself when you're in a whole market. So, look, if he feels that way, that's fair. Everyone has different opinions. But one if that's actually how it feels, it could be dangerous to him, his family, and anyone around him. And B, if he feels that way, then maybe the NBA should give him and others who feel like him an opt-out option. If you don't want to play by these health and safety protocol rules, then you can opt out of the season without pay and essentially do whatever you want to do yeah. in terms you don't of- even need the, the league to give you permission to do it right. i mean you can don't like, do it as, as Kyrie paid. irving has shown you exactly. can just you know yeah. walk off the job right so don't do it don't play you won't get paid but you could do whatever you want and see whoever you want and endanger yourself and others as much as you want and i also understand the counterpoint to there where it's like well he'd be endangering himself technically playing in the nba anyway okay but that's what i'm saying he doesn't have to do that we can go on forever about how irresponsible the league restart is. I'm not arguing that. But at the end of the day, it was agreed to between the league and its players for the sole purpose of trying to recoup as much money as possible. And these guys all agreed to that. Owners, players, refs, like you name it. So to now say at a point when it's very obvious why there are more strict rules in their downtime, for him to come at it from the approach of I'm a grown man and I can do what I want to do. Okay, fair. Then don't play. Yeah, and I, I, I'm like actually totally on board with that. And and I don't know specifically what he's talking about, like whether he just wants to be at home with his wife and kid or, or if I'm he's saying, talking about he, like going, like I, I don't really understand the, the contention because he can do like that. We're, we're, we're all making sacrifices, right? Like none of us have had a social life 
I don't know about none of us, but like I, I'm speaking for myself and what I hope to be like a yeah. broad swath of our listenership that's been responsible throughout this thing. But like none of us have really had social lives for the last 10 months. We've all had to sacrifice seeing our grandparents, seeing friends, like hanging out indoors. I, I, I haven't seen my parents indoors for months. And that's just a, a, a consequence of what we're dealing with right now. Like we, it doesn't really have anything to do with being indentured to your employer, and, exactly. you know, or like the tribulations of being an NBA player in this day and age. Like that's just a, what it means to be a person alive who like wants to look out for themselves and other people at this point in time. So like, that's the thing, right? Like the, the, the fact that the NBA isn't playing in a bubble, like, yeah, they can implement all these health and safety protocols, but compliance is just going to come down to the players and staff. And if they're not willing to comply, then this isn't going to work. And, and even like, so I was saying that I think that they should just get the vaccines, but like, even that is, is very complicated. Uh, and I think uh, Vincent Goodwill who writes for Yahoo Sports, I don't know if you saw this, but he wrote uh, what I thought was like a really illuminating piece about the reasons and the like the legitimate reasons that some players in the NBA might be resistant to getting the vaccine and like the distrust that black people have about public health, essentially. And one thing he talked to Michelle Roberts for that piece, and she cited the um, Tuskegee experiment, which happened kind of like in the first half of the 20th century at Tuskegee University and HBCU, like where they were essentially running a syphilis experiment uh, using like various control groups where a bunch of black men who didn't even know they had syphilis were told that they were receiving free health care and were instead just like receiving placebos so they could be studied uh, as their syphilis went untreated. It's this kind of like deep rooted trauma and fear about in this case, you know, potentially being used as guinea pigs. Like, I don't know, like there's probably a lot of players in the league that don't want to be among the first to receive this vaccine. And I think that's totally legitimate. So would, there would be a ton of complications with, say, mandating vaccines and making that like a requirement for players to play and travel. So I, I just think, you know, apart from being like, you know what, this isn't worth it. We're, we're just going to shut the season down and like, once everything calms down, then maybe we'll start talking about starting up again. Like, apart from that, I don't know that there are any like perfect solutions for the league right now, because, you know, it's easy enough to say, like, just suspend the season and pick up again in two weeks. But there are all kind of logistical complications that come along with that, too. Like, where are the players even going to go? I think is right. a good question. Like, if you shut the season down for two weeks, I don't think you're just going to come back and have like zero COVID cases, right? There's a good chance that you'll have more than you do now because presumably the, like the, the players aren't going to be getting tested twice a day, or maybe they will, maybe you shut down for two weeks and like you, you continue like the testing program and that helps you keep things under wraps. But then there are like conditioning concerns. Like are these players going to be able to train and be able to mitigate injuries when they come back? Like injuries have already been an issue after this really short off season. So there aren't really any perfect or even good solutions, but the NBA does seem determined to press on. So they'll kind of just have to continue fumbling around in search of the best of their bad options. Yeah. I mean, I think we can argue, um, not even argue, acknowledge until we're blue in the face that in the grand scheme of things, there shouldn't be NBA ball right now. But again, they, they've agreed to do it. Uh, 
our jobs kind of depend on it. And if they're going to do it, then they should do it with all parties involved, trying to get it done in a way that mitigates the risk as much as possible, as much as is possible while also playing a contact sport, right? And so it's only going to be as strong as their weakest link. And hopefully if, uh, yeah, if there are players like George Hill who feel that they shouldn't be facing the same rules off the court that the majority of the world is facing right now, then it's a very simple decision. Don't play. Come back uh, in a post-COVID world, I guess. But you did mention Kyrie walking off the job. So I think that's that's where we got to go next, right? That's we get we get to finish this pod talking Kyrie. Yeah, I mean, talk about somebody who just decided that they didn't want to play. Uh, and and the thing is, we still don't really know why. And that's kind of something we've talked about in relation to Kyrie in the past, which is that he's not the clearest or the best communicator. And I want to be clear, like it's been described as personal reasons, like the reason that he's not playing right now. And I don't know what it is. I can't purport to know. I don't know what's going on in Kyrie's life, in his mind. And I think it's perfectly valid for him or any player to just say like, this is too much. I'm going through something for one reason or another, and I can't play right now. And that's fine. And he doesn't owe us, Mm -hmm. you know, us either being the media or the viewing public an explanation for why that is. I do think he owes it to his team to explain why that is. And it's possible that he has given that explanation and that the team just isn't revealing it to the public. But based on the statement that Sean Marks put out and based on like what we've heard Steve Nash say when he's been asked about it, it doesn't seem like they have a good sense of why Kyrie isn't playing either. And obviously there's now that video circulating of Kyrie being at a maskless gathering to celebrate his sister's and and I think his dad's birthday, right? I think they have the same birthday, you know, in a large group of people, none of whom seem to be wearing masks. And that doesn't preclude any sort of mental health struggles that Kyrie might be going through or like whatever the reason is that he's not playing that might have nothing to do with the fact that he was at that party. So the fact that he was there doesn't negate all the stuff I said about the validity of not wanting to play while you're going through something personal. But the fact that he has seemingly walked off the job without an explanation of why and then turned up at a maskless gathering is a really bad look. And just like the maskless gathering itself, like even if he had provided a good explanation for why he's not playing right now, that's totally unacceptable. And we absolutely raked James Harden over the coals for, you know, maybe not doing exactly the same thing. Like a family birthday party is perhaps slightly different contextually than the partying that James Harden seemed to be doing, but the upshot is the same. Like it's incredibly irresponsible and, I said when Harden did it that it should be a multi-game suspension. I think the same standard should be applied to Kyrie. And the thing is, I don't even know if it would matter because I don't even know if he wants to play right now. Yeah, and uh, look, I think, as I've said so many times, you know, over the years with Kyrie, this is a good example of whether you like Kyrie, whether you don't like Kyrie, you should just be able to acknowledge that like multiple things can be true, you know, about a person, about a situation. And you kind of already touched on it. It's that 
look, he, he's got every right to take personal time, you know, just like anyone else in any other field. The fact that he makes a lot of money playing basketball doesn't change that fact. He's still a human being. If he needs personal time away from the team, as you said, that that's that's one thing where like he, he doesn't owe the media an explanation for that. He owes his team at least a heads up, which, you know, there's kind of conflicting reports about how much of a heads up he gave Steve Nash and the rest of his team. But that's it. He owes his team a heads up about the fact that he is not in the right headspace to play. I don't even know if he necessarily owes them an explanation as to why he's not in the right space mentally. As long as they know he's not going to be available and he's taking care of himself, as Marshawn Lynch said almost a year ago to the day, taking care of his mentals. Um, fair game. No one should be dragging him or any other professional athlete or any other person for taking time away from work for personal time, uh, mental health, check, like whatever the case may be. You can acknowledge that to be the case and also acknowledge him partying maskless, no matter who the party was for, was dumb as hell. Case closed. And yeah, it, it, it just goes back to the same stuff with Kyrie where on both sides, right? People that like him, people that don't, like when it comes to Kyrie, everyone wants to jump to conclusions, assume things that kind of fit their narrative of who they think Kyrie is, right? Even though none of us really know who Kyrie is. So if you don't like Kyrie, when, you know, he first misses games for personal time, people are clowning him for whatever reasons, right? Saying he's not reliable, this, that, don't want him on your team. People that love Kyrie and will jump to conclusions to make sure he's defended at all times, we're assuming they knew the valid reasons why he was away. And again, we don't know. As we've said, like no one should hate on him for taking personal time, but at the same time, we I can't assume what those personal things are, like what like how valid or not valid they are. I don't know. I'm just taking his word for it. Uh and and again now, even with the partying, like Jamal Murray, for example, he, he retweeted someone else's tweet where they just took screen grabs from headlines of all the times Kyrie's done great things, which we've praised on this show numerous times, whether it was donating money to the WNBA players who opted out of the season or uh, standing with the Sioux Tribe at Standing Rock, um, the the various uh, philanthropic things he's done. So someone tweets out like the headlines of all those things and then Jamal Murray retweets it and says, in criticism, basically, of people that were criticizing his maskless partying. Yeah, like, they only want to talk about what they want to talk about. And it's like, again, it's just the example of, like, what, how come with Kyrie, no one seems to be able to just reasonably, down the middle, say, let's just take the facts for what they are and acknowledge, every, like, that multiple things can be true. And it's like, the day that he has been a buffoon by maskless partying, just like James Harden was... We can acknowledge that and you don't have to then throw it in her face like, well, uh, what about all this stuff? It's like, it's not taking away from any of that. We're just acknowledging that this specific action was clownish, you know? And then to boot, and this isn't even necessarily like a, a, a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's just this is pure Kyrie at its finest and, and you know, why he is such an interesting character that we want to cover and ask questions is around the same time that the Nets and uh, the Nuggets are tipping off on Tuesday night. And while, you know, the basketball world at large and perhaps even some people on the Nets don't really know what Kyrie's up to, he shows up, Kai Irving shows up 
on a Zoom call for Tahani Abushi, essentially a local um, legal person that is running, I believe, to be the district attorney in an area of New York. So essentially, he's Manhattan, I think. Of yeah. Manhattan, right? The, obviously, the biggest borough in New York. So essentially, at the time the Nets were tipping off, Kyrie was on like a local politics call, and everything about the images coming from that call are amazing. The fact that Kyrie looks so chill, the fact that he's logged on as Kai Irving, uh, the fact that he's below Cynthia Nixon, a, a famous actress who was in Sex and the City, who's now turned um, into a politician, the fact that he's like right beneath her in this Zoom call, everything about it, the fact that the Nets were tipping off around the same time, everything about it was just so Kyrie. As usual, there are a lot of layers to peel away here when we're talking about Kyrie because he's human and they're, you know, like many of us, is a walking contradiction. He's an enigma in a lot of ways. But my God, if you want to talk about just like the full range of Kyrie, the full Kyrie experience the last few days, the last week, this has been it. And I think it's fair to wonder, as you have many times, um, you know, about, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Like a lot of times when people say like, oh, I don't know how much he loves the game or wants to play, they, they kind of say it as an insult. I don't mean it like that at all. But I think it's fair to wonder how much longer you know, or, or whether it's even in it anymore, how much like his heart is in the game, whether it's in there anymore. Right. And, you know, you can look at that as it's like sad from the perspective of he's this dazzling basketball talent that we all love to watch and admire and enjoy. But I, I think there's a flip side to it where you can almost say it's like admirable in a sense that to him, basketball is just a job. And he rightly feels that he, you know, he does have a greater purpose than just playing basketball. I think, you know, if if this is kind of the beginning of the end of his basketball experience, yeah, it, it's bittersweet in that sense. But I will say that if, even if you love Kyrie and you admire, as you should, the things he's done off the court, I think we also have to acknowledge that if you're an NBA team, strictly talking from a basketball perspective, in the business of, you know, winning and losing, I wouldn't want my team's fortunes to be tied to relying on Kyrie Irving's availability. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that's fair. And before the season started, when this maelstrom uh, surrounding Kyrie, not wanting to talk to the media and the statement that he put out about not talking to pawns, when I, when that all came out, we were texting back and forth. And I think I said, I really wouldn't be surprised if one day Kyrie just walks away and we don't see him on a basketball court again. And I, I just think like, yeah, he's, he's demonstrated over the last few years that he has other priorities. And I, I will agree with you in saying like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And at the end of the day, I think we both just would like for him to find the thing that makes him happy. And if playing basketball is not making him happy, then by all means, like he should walk away from it and figure out what he feels like uh, his purpose actually ought to be. And yeah, as far as... <laughs> Uh, uh, being on that organizing call for the hopeful for Manhattan district attorney, who I believe is running on a platform like criminal justice reform, you know, more power to him. Like we talk about like the players and putting action behind their words about actually affecting social change. Like that's walking the walk right there. Uh, the timing of it, like you could say a suspect, cause he still is a, a very well compensated employee of the Brooklyn nets. And it's impossible to say how they feel about his presence on that call. Like 
a few minutes before they were set to tip off a game that he otherwise would have been playing in. But uh, just on a personal level, I mean, if that's what Kyrie felt like he needed to be doing, then I'm not going to tear him down for that. The maskless partying is a totally different story. And whether he's an NBA player or not, like that is 100% not something that he should be doing right now. And, and that's just kind of the bottom line here. That's, that's kind of all I have on the Kyrie thing right now. Yeah. So I think that's probably where we can leave it for this week. Uh, I know it's sort of disappointing because we didn't really talk about anything basketball related, but to be perfectly honest, and like I've been watching a ton of games, as I know yeah. you have, and like you wrote about a whole bunch of stuff that you've noticed in the first couple of weeks of the season. I wrote a big feature about Miles Turner's defense. It's not like we haven't been paying attention to this stuff or think that it doesn't matter at all. It is still our jobs to cover the league and like we're still going to keep watching these games and in a lot of cases enjoying what we're watching even if the product hasn't been the best. But the thing that I'm finding is it's just like difficult even really to figure out what to take away from some of these games. You know, for one thing, like so many, so many of the teams just don't have their best players in the lineup from game to game. You know, blowouts are up around the league. Most teams' results have just been like all over the place uh, and they'll look like a completely different team from one game to the next. I, I mentioned like all the injuries. Uh, we didn't even like talk about Markel Fultz and how much of a bummer that is. Thomas Bryant's done for the season. Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, is out for who knows how long. And that's on top of the fact that that short offseason like made it more difficult for guys with lingering carryover injuries like Kemba and Porzingis and TJ Warren, like for them to make it back. It's just been a mess. And quite honestly, like it, it's made it tough to watch the game just like for their own sake and to like really enjoy watching NBA basketball, not just because of the backdrop against which these games are being played, but because of the fact that like the teams that we're watching right now aren't really fully representative of what these teams could be or will ultimately be come playoff time. Like it's just, um, I'm finding it really hard to know to like take the measure of any of the teams that I'm watching and to know what to take away from these games. Yeah. I'm at the point where like, I mean, it's too early to look at standings anyway, but you know, at some point in the near future, when we do start maybe glancing at the standings and what things mean and trying to figure out what things mean, I'm already at the point where like, assuming there's no fans in the stands for the playoffs or at least nothing close to a full stadium, I really think even contenders should be looking at this season as just survive it as a top six seed. Because really, like with no home court advantage, I know maybe the matchup you know won't be to a team's liking based on uh, finishing with a lower seed, but with home court advantage meaning less than ever, um, really, like other than avoiding the play-in because the margin for error is thinner, like, I don't know, is there really a difference between fourth and fifth, third and sixth? Like, you know what I mean? Second is, well, second and seventh, yeah, because seventh they're playing. But you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm at the point where I'm almost looking at it as like, okay, did a contender get through the season in decent shape, healthy? Are they a top six seed so they don't have to go through the play-in gamut? All right. Sign me up for that if I'm a contender. I'll take that even if it means a six seed, you know? Like, I think the, the first few weeks of the season have been so upside down um, and concerning in a lot of ways that that's already the way I'm viewing this season for contenders. I, I think that's the right approach, honestly. 
number one priority just has to be keeping everybody safe, staying healthy at any cost. You know, if that means resting players, uh, scaling back their minutes, like whatever it happens to be, I'm all in favor of teams doing whatever they can do to just make it through this season with like everybody's health intact. And I think it's important just before we sign off here to, to point out not just like the, the broader impact of the virus. And like we've talked about Carl Towns and like what this has cost him on a personal level, but like, like we're dealing with people whose bodies are their livelihoods. And we've seen even within the NBA ranks, I mean, thank God and knock on wood, like nobody has died, but it, it's, it's had long-term effects in a few of the players who have contracted it. I mean, Mo Bamba got the virus in the summer and he like just started playing again, like a little over a week ago, basically. And it took him that long, even just to get back to a place where he felt like he could actually play NBA basketball. And like, as far as long-term effects, who knows? Like he might never be the same. We don't know. Uh, and Nasir Little on the Blazers, the same thing. Like he's talked about his experience with the virus and and how bad it was and just like the lingering effects. I mean, I know it's not basketball, but like in baseball, Freddie Freeman was like literally on the brink of death. It's even for young, ostensibly healthy people who should be the like the, the least vulnerable population when it comes to like the effects that this can have have seen devastating consequences. And that's why it is a big deal when we see one of these players out in groups of people without a mask on, like it's a big freaking deal. It's not okay. So I hope, look, I don't, I don't think that like these new NBA guidelines necessarily go far enough to address what the issues actually are here. But I hope that regardless, they will be taken seriously and, that the players and staff uh, and really everybody involved will do their part if the season is going to proceed uh, to make sure that the season can proceed in a fashion that's safe for everybody. Yeah. Uh, no, no argument with anything you said there. Uh, before we go, as always, want to get a fan shout out in. Hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Ankar Brar from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, tweeted uh, a couple nights ago. So he's obviously a Raptors fan living in Canada. And after the Raptors' latest heartbreaking loss, um, to Golden State at the buzzer, uh, he tweeted us, tweeted me saying that pound the rock pod better be some good vibes because I need that right now. So unfortunately, I don't know how many good vibes we brought today. We're talking about a league kind of in flux and in chaos right now, but hope you enjoyed it anyway, Ankar. Thanks, uh, thanks for supporting the show and being a loyal listener. And weekly reminder: if you are a listener to Pound the Rock, whether you've been listening for one episode or 165 episodes, let us know what you think let us know where you're listening from and we will definitely get you a shout out on a future episode so hit us up on twitter hit me up on instagram yeah and if you're really looking for some good vibes just throw on an indiana pacers game i'm telling you that will get you through the week they're fun man yeah i know you don't have to tell me you don't have to convince me (laughs) give it a week i'll be back hating them but right now they're fun anyway with that for joseph Cacharo. I'm Joe Wolfon. We'll talk to y'all soon. Pound the rock.